We the people. Four score and I seven. have a dream. Ask what you tear down this wall. Which will live in infamy. Read my lips. Welcome to Civic Symphony. In this episode, we're going to continue to study the creation of states and the power given to Congress by the Constitution to create states. But before we get into the episode, we'd just like to make a quick announcement that Civic Symphony has a new Gmail uh, address. It's civicsymphony at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Any suggestions you have about future episodes, questions you may have, or comments about the show. And we will try to get back with you as quickly as possible or answer those questions in upcoming episodes. Now, on with studying the creation of states. We had a great opportunity this week to see the creation or the attempted creation of a state as the House of Representatives voted uh, for House Resolution 51, which would create a state out of the District of Columbia. Now, let's not kid ourselves. Uh, the odds of this passing are very, very small. There are already two Democrats in the Senate that have said they won't support it. Obviously, Republicans are not likely to support it. And so the creation of what would be the Douglas Commonwealth is likely not to pass. However, it did give us a little insight into the idea of the House of Representatives in creating a new state. Uh, first of all, they have designated a smaller area to be what they're going to term as the federal district. Uh, this area would include the White House, the Supreme Court, the Capitol, and uh, the, the monuments that surround uh, that area. For example, the reflecting pool that, that is between the Lincoln Memorial and the Washington Memorial. So that would be the new federal district. Then everything else around that would become what they are uh, calling the state of Washington, comma, Douglas Commonwealth. Now, I'm not sure how the state of Washington was going to feel about that, considering they are already a state. It just happened to be located on the Pacific Ocean. So my thought process is that they will eventually just become Douglas Commonwealth. Now, ironically, one of the things that has been pushed around is the fact that they won't have to change their zip code area. They, it's still going to be D.C., obviously Douglas Commonwealth. And a lot of people feel like they will eventually drop the name state of Washington. The other thing that's come up or hasn't been discussed very much is the fact that they where is the capital going to be? Not the capital of the United States, that obviously will be the, the federal district, but where is the capital of Douglas Commonwealth going to be? Uh, the, if you've never been to Washington, they don't have a lot of cities, nor do they have a lot of land outside of Washington. Um, so the Douglas Commonwealth will have to put a capital somewhere. Uh, I've, heard, uh, I've heard people suggest Georgetown, uh, which is an area up there. But they're going to have to have an area large enough to have a governor's mansion, uh, obviously a state legislator, a, a state court. All that will have to be worked out. But, but again, uh, I don't see this happening because I just don't see the Senate being able to, to pass uh, statehood for the District of Columbia. Uh, in fact, most people have, when they did a poll of, of, of nationwide, most people don't want Washington, D.C. to to be a, uh, its own state. They would rather keep it a district of of the obviously a federal district. I apologize, a federal district and not turn it into its own state. And a lot of that goes back to what the forefathers uh, preached and what the forefathers believed in that that the, the national capital be, it needed to be to itself. But you don't want to shrink it down to its three blocks around the White House or wh whatever that ends up being. OK, now. One of the reasons that is being pushed for Washington, D.C. to become a state, to become the Douglas Commonwealth, is for equal representation. 
Now, Nancy Pelosi uh, commented on this idea uh, when, when it was passed or the uh, House Resolution 51 was passed in the House. And here's what she had to say about it. By voting for D.C. statehood, the House of Representatives reaffirms this truth that all deserve a voice in our democracy. To hear Congresswoman Holmes Norton talk about equality for the people of the District of Columbia, equality because of equal representation in the Congress. Now, I completely agree with Nancy Pelosi. Everyone deserves equal representation, but there is an overriding political angle to this. And if you don't believe me, just ask yourself this simple question. Where is House Resolution 52? Where is it, Ms. Speaker? A resolution that would grant people of Puerto Rico, the citizens of Puerto Rico, their statehood. After all, they voted five months ago for statehood, and Congress has yet to take any action on that. So there is a political aspect to this. Now, do people deserve equal representation? Absolutely. But if you're going to put the, the District of Columbia into statehood, then you need to give Puerto Rico their statehood. The problem with that for Democrats is that doesn't work to their advantage. They want the Douglas Commonwealth because it will give them two more seats in the Senate and in their mind, give them control of the Senate. Adding Puerto Rico could actually backfire on them because Puerto Ricans tend to vote conservative a lot of the time, which would end up favoring the Republicans. So there is obviously a political element to it. Yes, we deserve equal representation. Everyone does. But to simply go, okay, we're going to give it to the District of Columbia, but not to Puerto Rico, that would not be equal representation. An example of this political angle, this political desire to, to gain power, was given by Tom Carper this week when he made this statement. And so we're very hopeful that we can move forward on this. Obviously, uh, uh, we're going to need some Republicans to vote principle rather than politics. So let's examine the statement for a moment, because this is one of those statements that really irritates me. And, and as people that listen to this podcast know, I don't a lot of times get on a soapbox. But what Mr. Carper is saying is basically this. If, if you don't vote the way he votes, then your decision is obviously political. They can have no principle to it. And that's simply not true. What if, as a representative, as a senator, I truly believe that Washington, D.C. should not be a state because of what the forefathers believe, that they wanted it to be an independent area, and therefore it doesn't need to be a state? I can't have a principled vote. This runs right in the face in the, of what the forefathers believe, which is you consider the situation, you use your principles, and then you vote. And just because you don't agree with Mr. Carper doesn't mean you're voting political, that you can actually have a very principled vote that goes against what he believes in. And what he is saying at the end of the day is, look, you're either with me or you're obviously just voting for political reasons. And basically, then, then you don't need to be acknowledged as having a vote which is, again, completely against what the forefathers believed in. Now, having said that, again, most Americans do not want D.C. to be a state. However, the, the exact opposite is true when they voted about Puerto Rico, when they were asked to, to, to give a decision about Puerto Rico, an opinion. Most Americans want Puerto Rico to become a state. 
They feel like it is a territory that is now voted for statehood five months ago, and it deserves to become the, the 51st state of, of the union. And if you want to bring Puerto Rico and District Columbia in at the same time and make them 51, 52, then I'm sure there are people that would be okay with that. That would acknowledge the fact that we typically bring two in, i.e. Alaska and Hawaii. And that maybe the Democrats and Republicans could agree on that. Now, I, I doubt that occurs, but maybe they could. However, Commissioner Jennifer Gonzalez Colon made this very clear about statehood, that it is not a cure-all for the problems in Puerto Rico. This is what she had to say. First of all, statehood is, is not going to be a magic wand uh, to, to resolve uh, all problems, but it will provide opportunities. It will provide equal footing uh, in many of the decisions, right? And right now, Congress decide uh, uh, the regulations of the air we, we breathe, the water we drink, um, and we do not have participation. I mean, I'm the only member representing the island and uh, we don't have senators. We should be having at least four members of the house. So how the most democratic country in the whole world go to fight for democracy in, in all corners, and then in your backyard, uh, you still have a territory, you still have a colony. Uh, so I, I truly believe that statehood will provide the same resources Hawaii and Alaska receive at that time. Now, a couple things from that statement. First of all, she brought up the fact that it will give Puerto Rico equal footing, and that is true. That, that the, the movement between being a territory and a state is incredibly large. That if you've ever been to one of, the territories of the United, one of the territories of the United States, it's not like going to a state. Secondly, she brought up the idea of how it affected Alaska and Hawaii. Now, a lot of people don't know or haven't read about the fact that it was not a completely smooth transition, that you had two territories that became states, and eventually they become great, great members of the United States. But early on, it was not a smooth transition. And that is something Puerto Rico and Washington, D.C. would have to prepare for. You're no longer a territory or in Washington, D.C. states, a district. You are now a state. And how the United States approaches being a territory and being a state is completely different. However, having said all that, if you truly believe in equal representation under the government, you have a territory that has voted to become a state, and yet Congress has not taken any action toward that vote. So all this talk about equal representation for Washington, D.C., if that's the case, you should have equal representation for Puerto Rico. We'll be back. So now let's take a look at some states that were created uh, by using the permission given to Congress. First of all, let's start with the state of Vermont. Now, Vermont is somewhat unique in this way. Vermont claimed that it was independent long before the American Revolution, that they had declared independence away from Great Britain, um, even though a lot of people considered Vermont to be a part of New York. They, in fact, threatened to leave uh, the, the 13 colonies and form their own relationship with Great Britain. Now, Vermont is actually given statehood in, in a very unique way, and, and it runs something like this. 
when the when the colonies got together to to create the thirteen states, New York was given statehood. But in, in the, at the meantime, New York agreed that once they were a state, that Vermont was its own independent area. So it, it wasn't dependent upon that. Vermont statehood wasn't dependent upon that. It simply recognized the fact that Vermont itself had always considered itself separate and that the rest of the 13 states were going to acknowledge the fact that they were separate. And this is how Vermont becomes the 14th state in the Union. Now, another interesting develop occurred with Missouri and Maine. Um, Missouri becoming the first state to be west of the Mississippi asked for statehood. However, Missouri was going to come in as a slave state. And obviously the northern states did not want this to happen because um, they like, again, at that point in history with slave and free states, they, they always wanted to maintain a balance there between the two. So it was agreed that Missouri would come in if Maine could also come in and the two would balance each other out. Obviously, again, slave and, and free. The catch was that Massachusetts had to agree to let Maine be carved out of what was Massachusetts. And obviously they did. But that kind of gives you an idea of how big originally Massachusetts was. It's kind of the Virginia of the North in that it had Connecticut in it, had Maine in it. And so over time, Massachusetts had to give up part of their land to create additional states. And now on to perhaps the most unique state that, that was ever created, or at least the manner in which it was created, West Virginia. Now, a, a quick context of history. West Virginia is created in 1863, uh, right in the middle of the Civil War. Uh, the, the inhabitants of the western part of Virginia did not secede when the state of, of Virginia seceded. And as time went on, they eventually asked for a statehood. Now, this is a case where Lincoln used uh, both sides of the coin. In this case, uh, he decided that Virginia was was not a state. So so let's kind of walk through again how a state is created. If if a part of a state wants to become a state, again, they have to ask the whole state. Well, in 1863, there was no one to ask because Virginia had seceded from the Union. So uh, basically what happened was the people of West Virginia asked the people of West Virginia if they become a state or could become a state. And obviously they voted to become one. Um, it was very controversial because, again, Virginia had no say in it. But in Lincoln's mind, they, in this case, they had left the Union and therefore uh, gave up any right to say what, what happened to their land. And again, this gives you an idea of how big Virginia actually was in the fact that, that Kentucky and West Virginia grew out of, out of uh, the colony of Virginia and then, and then obviously the state of Virginia. And so Virginia is the, is the southern Massachusetts in terms of its land size. If, if it had kept all that land, it would be a very powerful state today. All right, so now let's look at some some areas that didn't become states, and, and even though there was some talk of, of them becoming states. Uh, first of all, uh, in the early 1900s, it was proposed that the Native Americans uh, have their own state, and it was going to be called Sequoia. Now, it is located or was located in what is, is Oklahoma. Um, it in fact, the, the Native American population met uh, and, and did a constitution. Now, the constitution of what would become the state of Sequoia was based upon Native American uh, laws, but it was going to be accepted into the Union. Um, again, they met, they put together a constitution, they sent their stuff on to Congress, and it was going to be approved. But Theodore Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt, 
actually cut a deal in which the area was merged into Oklahoma and then the, the actual state never existed. It was simply part part of Oklahoma. Um, but there was an opportunity there for the United States to do something uh, not only unique, but but something that that would have healed over some of the wounds, not all of it, some of the wounds that the Native Americans had suffered um, from from what had occurred up to then. And it's really one of those missed opportunities. You can go back in U.S. history and look at some of the missed opportunities that, uh, that had occurred. And this is one of those opportunities that it would have been great today to have a, a Native American state uh, that had all the traditions of the Native Americans, at least in that region, that had a, a voice in the Senate and in the House. And again, it's just one of those times where where the United States and in particular Theodore Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt, missed an opportunity to do something that would have been very, very meaningful uh, for the Native Americans. Okay, um, a, another one that that has come up is um, North and South California. That for a while there was always been a rumor that the northern part of California will separate from the southern part. If you're not familiar with California, uh, the two don't have a lot in common. The northern part is more wooded. Um, it's much smaller, even though the capital's there. The, the capital of Sacramento is actually a very small capital for state. Um, while the southern part of California has Los Angeles and San Diego and San Francisco and those areas. And so the two parts really are, are not as, as common or have as much as in common that, that people think they do. So there has always been this quiet push to to separate North and South California for obvious reasons. Uh, the, the, a lot of politicians don't want that to happen because you're going to be splitting the votes again, split the representatives, split in the Senate seat. And there's no guarantee that Northern California will vote the same way that Southern California would vote. And, and so, uh, again, states don't like to bust themselves up. So while that has always been uh, put out there, I really don't see that ever happening, that, that California's power as a state, uh, they want that to to remain the way it is. All right. The last one we're going to talk about is kind of uh, a different. In 1982, the, the Florida Keys got upset uh, about that the State Department put up basically what was a checkpoint uh, and and was uh, doing it almost as as border crossing. Um, and so the, the people in the Florida Keys uh, responded by forming what would be called the Conch Republic. Now, um, it, it, it obviously was never a republic, but th the mayor at the time of the Florida Keys uh, declared their independence and said that they would no longer be a part of the United States. So here's what that sounded like. Key West is a foreign country to Washington. Washington shall represent a foreign nation to Key West. <laughs> Now, just to be clear, you can't do that. You can't just wake up one morning and decide that you're going to be your own country and tell the United States that you're leaving. Um, that what, what is kind of neat is the Conch Republic did have its own flag. It actually made its own visas. Um, and believe it or not, 48 hours later, the State Department, uh, the State Department, I'm sorry, backed down and, and took away this this border checkpoint area. So in some ways they got what they want. Now, how how serious the State Department actually took this uh, is always been debated. But but I, I think it was more of a recognition of that the citizens of this area were upset enough to at least pretend for a while that they were their own republic.
All right. So those are just three examples of places that did did not become states. And and again, the Florida Keys was never going to be a state. Um, but if you go back to our episode last time, uh, there's nothing that technically stops them. They because it's again, the, the statehood is not based upon population or land size. So if Florida would let the Florida Keys go and they could get enough momentum, they they could actually become a state. So. We're going to take a break, one more break here. We'll come back with Strange Laws, and then we'll wrap up this episode. For Strange Laws today, we're going to look at something that is allowed instead of something that, that is prohibited. In the te- uh, states of Texas, Colorado, Kansas, and Montana, they allow for a proxy marriage. Now, if you're not familiar with that, a proxy marriage is where someone stands in uh, for someone else that cannot be there uh, for, for the wedding. Um, this started, believe it or not, back in the Middle Ages where there were uh, kings that were going to marry, and they simply, for, for reasons, obviously, in terms of travel at that time, couldn't get there, so someone would stand in for them. This really started to kick in during wars. If you had, obviously, World War One, World War Two, you had um, individuals, men that were stationed overseas and could not get back for the wedding or the marriage ceremony, and so they had a proxy or someone stand in for them. Uh, in fact, in Montana, you can have what is known as a double proxy uh, wedding where obviously each person has someone stand in for them. Um, this has gone so far in Texas as there was a lady in Texas who married a, a Russian who was up on the International Space Station because he couldn't get there. Now, the thing is that marriage is recognized in Texas and in the other states that allow proxy marriages. Um, but proxy marriages are not universally recognized. Um Now, I guess the wrap up is this. If you're going to do a proxy marriage, make sure the person that's standing in for you is not more attractive than you are. That's going to wrap up this episode of Civic Symphony. I know we went a little bit long this time, but there was just so much to get in to wrap up the creation of the states and what is going on right now with Washington, D.C. As usual, we'd like to thank freesound.com for the music. We'd like to remind you again that we have a new place to reach us on Gmail. It's civicsymphony at gmail.com. That's civicsymphony at gmail.com. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear from you. A comment, we'll be glad to answer it and and respond as fast as possible. We hope you learned a little bit uh, this time about how how to create states, how the government, uh, through the powers of the Constitution, creates them. As always, democracy only works when your voice is heard. So make sure it is. Thanks for listening.